0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Happy with the Happy Hour with the Founder. This is a series of interviews with some of the amazing startup founders we've come to know, where we explore advice and stories from their hard work and, and everything else that was required for them to build their startup. My name is Jody Page, and today I'm joined by Joanna Abrams from MindClick. Hi, Joanna. How are you today?
1: I'm great. How are you, Jody? Thanks for having me. Doing great.
0: Me. You bet. You bet. Thanks for jumping on. And, um, Joanna, you and I, We haven't been working together a long time, actually. We've only been working together, I think, since April, uh, which was a very interesting time to start a capital relationship, as you may recall, as we went through the process. But um, I definitely want to get into that a little bit later. Um, What I did want to dive into a little bit here um, is one of the things that we really wrestled with... Oh, by the way, before I forget, this is happy hour. Cheers to you. (laughs) Um,
1: my glass is a little more full than yours, Jody. What I know,
0: that I, I know, but I got, I got straight bourbon. What do you, what are you, what are you uh, sipping on? Yeah, I got a
1: little
0: vodka lemonade going on. There you go. You got, so you you cut yours a little bit.
1: Yeah,
0: I may have to take a pause and go back and get another bottle. I, I'm not, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where it all goes.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nonetheless, I, I, listen, I, you know, we, we, we were underwriting your business at a really interesting time, right? Uh, it started before you know the covid thing happened and then you know we actually funded you about about a month after you know the lockdown really started right which was just an absolutely crazy time um and i'm still like truth be told a little i'm surprised we got it done like honestly i mean it was it was and the reason being is because you had part of your business is, is focused in the hospitality space which is just getting obliterated right now um but you know ultimately we landed in a place where we understood the business that the exposure was relatively limited and and we got there and it's been great ever since right but i am curious to hear from you about kind of what you're seeing happening in that space and more broadly what it's like to be with a business that has a cohort of its client base that's, that's just in really not good spot so let's let's start there can you speak to that a little bit
1: Yeah, so I'm sure everybody knows it's been a bloodbath in hospitality. It's probably Mm -hmm. the factor that's been hit the hardest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the business that we're in is uh, we work with global brands, Marion International being one of the big ones to help them choose vendors that reflect a commitment to uh, social and environmental responsibility. Mm -hmm. So our SaaS business is about rating these vendors and their products on an annual basis, so that uh, design teams and purchasing decision-makers can use that as one of the decision factors, along with price, quality and all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So fortunately for us, we have a 10-year relationship with Marriott, where um, we are built into goals that they've set through 2025 to ensure that the vendors that they contract for all their brand prototypes um, meet a performance level in our rating system okay. so that program is secure what isn't secure is the volume of renovations and new construction happening right. in the, um in the hospitality industry and frankly even across the built environment right I mean right. any place in which you're providing uh, interior spaces for people to congregate in it's mm-hmm. a tricky yeah. thing
0: yeah yeah uh, for sure
1: So, you know, what did they say? I'd rather be lucky than smart or, you know, you need a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were already on a plan to expand beyond the hospitality sector. Um, Mm -hmm. Our vendors who pay the bulk of our revenues and they do this through a, a subscription model year over year have been pushing us to say, what you have is great. It solves our problem of having to address this across the whole spectrum and do it in a lot of different ways. We'd rather be using one system and have you be integrated into that uh, for us. So we'd already worked through a plan to um, take it to the broader design community. Um, right. And that's a big part of the capital raise with you guys was to help mm-hmm. fund the development of that. Yep. Um, what's been interesting is the variation amongst these vendors um, as to the pain and suffering they're feeling. Um, right. And it's not a direct reflection of the size of the company. Frankly, it has to do with how they've set up their business. If they're 100% reliable on hospitality, yeah, they're hurting, right?
2: Yeah,
1: um, yeah. If they're diversified and they're supporting other sectors, um, they're still building going on, believe it or right. not. There's a, right. thousand plus hotels that have been going live this year. Um, so it's a matter of a smaller uh, pie um, mm-hmm. And how they stand out, and we actually help them stand out. Um, the other piece of this that's really interesting, Jody, is that um, Accenture said it really well. Because of COVID, every business is a health business now. Right. Every experience. I didn't really thought
0: about it in that way.
1: well your firm as well, right? How are you yeah. taking care of employees? What's the physical space that they're going to come back to going to yep. be? Right. Yep. Those that are serving you know, delivering a business or service in the built environment, it's all Mm -hmm. different now. And so it creates opportunity for these vendors and, you know, juxtaposed with a real focus on social responsibility and environmental responsibility.
0: And that was, that was going to be my next question is this, this is, this is, this is, it seems to me firmly in kind of the ESG kind of space, right? Which a good buddy of mine has been in that space for, 10 years and um, or maybe even longer. I met him 10 years ago and um, and he was telling me about it. And I was like, really, that's the thing. Like, 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 like they're actually going to like go after this, like at an institutional level. And, and he was so hot about it. And here we are fast forward 10 years later and he's, you know, he's still doing it and and it's just exploded into this piece. And I can only imagine that COVID is just going to accelerate yeah. The, the adoption of you know kind of you know esg practices if you will so you uh like some business even though you're connected to hospitality to some degree because you're an esg piece you're you're in a weird way going to see an advantage from from what's going on which which do, it's not a fun thing to say but there is a cohort of businesses out there that are benefiting from what's going on right um yeah. and so obviously happy for you for, because i like you in, I was so happy for you because we have money in your business. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting about your business um, and it, and it, maybe it comes up maybe one or two times out of every 10 companies I look at, right. Is that you've actually, the business, MindClick has been around for a long time. It's been around for like 20 years. Um, and I don't think like what it is now is necessarily what you would plan for know back in i think it was like 2002 when you started this thing right so what was the motivation to start it at that point and then at what point did you decide you were going to move to a product and then you know can you talk about that progression that played out over 20 years right
1: It's, it's uh i sometimes can't believe it's been that long jody but um so I was in, I'm going to age myself here. I was in my early 30s and it was the dot-com um, boom and I was running an interactive agency and right. it was, you know, everyone in black, right? Like if, as right. long as you're black, you could walk into any corporation in America and sell a million dollars worth of business and nobody had right. any idea what to do with the technology and what this internet thing was and all that. Right,
0: things. right.
1: So um, I was also at the time in my career and my life where I, realized that if I was gonna have a family, I wanted to think about how I was gonna do things differently. Um, And for me, that meant having a lot more control over my hours, um, Mm -hmm. where I work from, all those sorts of things. So, um, kind of, you know, a bunch of factors that went into me starting a company that was, um, even then, focused on this idea of leveraging technology to gain Mm -hmm. insights to make business decisions out of. And we started in the world of usability testing, which for everybody who's a SaaS company, of course, you know how important that is, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and uh, we ended up with, and it was a small team, um, specifically meant to stay small because I was having babies, you know, right. my now 15 and 17 years old. It's not so easy to go raise a bunch of capital, especially then and have a 1000000000 dollar company when you're...
2: <laughs> right, right.
1: Um, and some women do it and, you know, kudos to them. But anyway, so um, we uh, had some really robust contracts with uh, Toyota and mm-hmm. to work on the Prius account, we actually beat out JD Power uh, for evaluating the effectiveness of website usability. So we did this whole master study looking at all automotive websites and right. they used us for probably six years worth of, of business and um, we got to work on the Prius account, as I mentioned. And that was my first exposure to this world of um, environmentalism, social mm-hmm. I uh, like to describe myself as a capitalist tree hugger, being a native.
2: <laughs> you know, so. Right.
1: Um, and I saw 10 years ago this emerging world of mm-hmm. that talk about as ESG. So we took, you know, the team um, at that point in time took our methodology from a J.D. Power kind of mindset, right? This idea of ratings Mm -hmm. and developed a solution so companies could, in essence, buy better if we make it right. 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 Um, And so uh, that evolution of the business, um, you know, occurred as I was, you know, my daughters were young and growing and the whole bit. And to your point about your friend, you know, this is one of those emerging industries and it's taking time because you're changing behavior, you're changing a mindset and it's uh it doesn't matter how much money you raise, Jody. when you're right. talking about that kind of change, it mm-hmm. does just require time. So I didn't yeah. focus on, I'm going to go out and raise a ton of money and this is going to be an overnight success. We recognize that this is going to be something that was learning how to, frankly, for those of you around my age, do TQM mm-hmm. through the world mm-hmm. of Right, because you're asking right. to change you know, the way they look at products, the way they look mm-hmm. at manufacturing. A
2: whole uh, and, that's,
0: and that's a big that's a big lift from a sales perspective when you're look, asking somebody to basically adopt practices that they had not historically engaged in. Right, I, um, I consulted with a business that did that, and they 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 did successfully exit because there was a ton of strategic value in the tech that they built. But in right. that particular setting, it was that particular situation, they, the, the, the platform required investment managers to adjust their qualitative investment manager research process. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, that was, I think from a sales perspective, maybe a bridge too far. Right. Um, And, and they, we figured that out and they, they had a great outcome regardless, but I I'm with you on that. So, so you're saying that like at at this point, so basically like 10 years ago, you decided to move into this 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 kind of more product space knowing that it was going to be this kind of slow boil you know to 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 a point where the world kind of caught up with 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 ESG right so here we are yeah 2010 right yeah. um and you had not gone out you had had not gone out and raised a ton of money um and and now 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 the traction's happening and now you have all these forces behind you. So what are you, like, what are you thinking about, like what's changed for you since COVID in terms of how you're thinking about the business going forward? Like, has that evolved in the last, you know, handful of months?
1: Oh, very much so. So um, we see a major opportunity uh, with the design community at large on a global basis and the design community yeah you, know, you got um, billions of dollars that go into the decisions and the products um, that show up in interiors all kinds of interiors senior living retail workplace healthcare mm-hmm. hospitality education right and so right. everybody is now at the table recognizing that there's a demand for you know thoughtful purchase decisions that include yep. Understanding of the impacts that these products have on our health and well being, both when we're in the space as well as what it takes to bring those products to market and dispose of them. And the designers are overwhelmed with there are like 500 eco labels and certifications out there, Jody. Like you go to the grocery store, right? You look at a product label. <laughs> right. How do you make sense of what they're saying, right? Right, well, right, right. You think about the business of design, it's a service business and they have mm-hmm. hours, and there's only so many hours that can be allotted on a project. So for them to go out and try to do this research and understand all of this, forget it. Very few firms have any way of really putting financial resources behind it, which is usually human capital to do it. Well, right. Our solution solves that problem. And the designers, we've been in beta. I think I mentioned this to you previously. Mm-hmm. designers love it. They are so excited because now we've got this platform where they can bring value to their clients in a world which is crying for this more than ever, right? Which is... Right. Global Brands, and I can't talk about some of these, but obviously Marriott, you know, sure. saying we are going to make choices that ensure that the environments we create and the environments we impact have a positive, um, make a positive contribution. Mm-hmm. So we're solving a really big problem. Um, and there's, you know, there's the top 100 design firms out there, you know, the big names of the world, the Gensler, the right. et cetera, with, you know, 500, 600 people worldwide working on these mm-hmm. and looking for the solution. So there's a big opportunity. And the vendors, interestingly enough, because people can't meet in person anymore, what right. this does for the vendors who are trying to get in front of the designers who specify their products, they are dying for a solution to have a different kind of conversation. So if mm-hmm. you're in front of ABC brand, right? And you're uh, you know, Shaw Carpet or whomever, right? Well, how great to be able to say, hey, we're part of this really amazing solution that's going to solve all your problems, you know, in terms of telling the story for your clients, right? Uh, It's a great story for them to tell. So we're able to leverage the, you know, 150 to 200 vendors that are already in our program as a result of Marriott and work with them to help us grow the business, which is very capital. That's
0: awesome. That's awesome. So as is with most things, there's two sides to every coin, right? So we talked about the tailwinds. You know, that are happening kind of in the ESG space. There's also headwinds, right? Um, And I really hadn't anticipated getting into this part of the conversation, but it is interesting to me um, because it's hyper relevant right now. Like, what, what are the headwinds? What were, you know, had the headwinds changed for you, you know, in terms of trying to grow this ESG business pre COVID, post COVID? Are you still running into the same challenges? Like, what, what would you say are your biggest challenges right now as an ESG play, so to speak,
2: if any?
1: Yeah, for sure. You know what the hardest challenge is, Jody. There isn't a rhyme or reason necessarily to how the customer on the other line is going to show up. I'll give you a classic example. So we have um, one of the product categories we cover is the art category. So think of all the art that appears in
2: mm-hmm, how mm-hmm.
1: The offices the like so one of the vendors is in our program is killing it they don't even have a sales and marketing team they can't keep up with demand they just want a worldwide contract with ford motor company to have their artwork installed everywhere like they're they're talking to us about a three-year deal we have another vendor who does more than hospitality who's like not sure they're going to keep their doors open so when you're seeing that in the same product category for example like right that to forecast right, right. and that's I, that's our biggest challenge to be perfectly candid is you know forecasting because it it's not so much a sector specific um mm-hmm. response frankly i think a lot of it just has to do with the financial um stability of these companies and yeah. you know, how well they've been running their business prior to that. And that's not something that you necessarily know until, you know, what do they say? A rising tide floats all boats. And when the tide yeah. goes you see what's going on, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, that, that became very clear when we went through our analysis because, you know, 200 plus companies and I've, I've referenced this in other um, interviews I've done, you know, it, it was almost like a microcosm of what was happening in, in yeah. the, um, you know, in, in, in small business right and um it was very clear that the ones that were kind of teetering you know not even necessarily doing poorly but they weren't super dialed in mm-hmm. on, on kind of what they were going to pursue um those are the ones that really struggled the most outside of the the you know the cut of businesses that were like servicing hospitality or travel right you know businesses that that took a direct hit i don't know how you're in the hospitality space and didn't take a direct hit but
1: you know what and i think this is a really important um discussion topic to bring up so you know i did raise venture capital i think we talked about this yeah yeah 2013, i raised um venture capital funding and we were coming at hospitality from an industry perspective so we had marriott at the table we had hyatt and um Starwood and, you know, all these brands at the table saying, yes, they were on board, they were on board, they were on board. But, you know, when it came right down to it, um, what happened was, you know, Marriott's got a distinct business model with their franchisees in that as a franchisee, you're, you're pretty much required to purchase off of the vendors they, they approve. The yeah. others have the same teeth. So without that, it was hard for those brands to tell the vendors they have to be in our program, right?
0: Right, and right. And
1: you know, push came to shove. You know, they couldn't sign on the dotted line. And so, of course, we didn't hit our numbers. And we had a choice at that point in time, either shut the company down or figure out a way to survive. And we right. were doing great with Marriott. They loved what we had to offer. So, you know, I went to Marriott and I said, here's the deal. We're either going out of business or we're going to negotiate a deal with you where we have a um, volume program. You agree to X number of vendors are going to come through Mind Click every year and we'll keep our rates at this, you know not you know reasonable wow. we'll keep the doors open
0: and this happened this happened after VC
1: happened December of 2014 it was <laughs> one of the hardest days of my life I've never faced I, anything yeah. like talk about hitting rock rock bottom and I had people I had to lay off and you know it was, it was awful but out of that because of my need for cash we set up a business model where the vendors have to pay us in January every year. It, wasn't like <laughs> it, was, it was, I was desperate, right? <laughs> was open and we if, Telling everybody they have to do right, this. Right. Right. right.
0: By, by any means necessary. Right. I mean, I mean, and that is, that is, I think every, I think every entrepreneur, anybody that's really trying to build something that does not exist there, there is that, there is that moment where you, you basically either say, no, I'm going all in on this thing or, or you tap out. Right. And you, you know, you, you obviously went to, went all in on it. So, but that, that kind of, that's interesting. So I wanted to get into this a little bit with you. Um, So I'm glad you brought up the VC raise. You know, there's a ton of stats out there that talk about, you know, how little VC goes, VC money goes to you know women founded businesses. I'm I'm curious about your experience raising and and whether it was one of those stories where you felt like you got treated well in the process, or were there stuff were were there some definite things headwinds, if you will, that you were facing while you were going through that that VC raise. What, what's your what's your best VC raise story?
1: Oh man, it, well I still have PSD from it. <laughs> Um, you know, hey,
2: it's a good story then. Yeah.
1: Um, I, so, so I'm a, Harvard what's the biggest,
0: what's the biggest scar from your VC yeah,
1: race? I'll tell you the biggest scar. So I'm a Harvard business school graduate and we were, we'd already closed, uh, the 90% of the round. We were just looking for, you know, a little 10% and I wanted to Top do it off. locally. Um, and I won't say where, um, because I wanted to represent, you know, the local community. Right. Right. And uh, so went through this whole process, and uh, um, what happened was the lead decision maker um, had a conversation with one of my board members, who was a year ahead of me um, at B school. We were good friends, and that VC uh, said something to the effect of, "Well, don't you find her to be a bit strident?" And um, instead of really standing up for me my Mm -hmm. trusted board uh, member um, you know went on to talk about well yeah she could be stubborn but you know you but she'll she does listen and and blah 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 and it's that classic case of you want a CEO to be strong you want a CEO Mm -hmm. to make the tough decisions you want mm-hmm. somebody who, when the chips are down, is gonna have the balls to go to a Marriott and say, you right. want to a business?" or is that, like, right. is that strident, or is that leadership, right? right. So we didn't get the money, and um, you know, I was hit twice, right? I was hit by being you know, described as something that I would argue most men wouldn't face, and then also mm-hmm. by not having somebody on my board who had my back. Right, who would be like, or at least you, or at least
0: you thought,
1: at least my thought, right? Yeah, Um, the the irony of it all, you know, it was that he told me this whole conversation, and I said to him, I was like, (laughs) you didn't didn't stand up for me.
0: (laughs) Did he, did he, did he realize that at the point that you said it?
1: I don't know to this day if he, if he did. I, and I, you know, I think that this is where the, the challenge lies is that um you know it's, it's communication it's language it's you know terminology that's used to describe people and they you know the the lack of understanding of when it's said to somebody who is different than the norm which you wouldn't think I would say that as a woman but still raising money and
2: yeah yeah
1: and the norm right those words have a different meaning than they might be might be interpreted you know right. in a conversation and I, I think that's The learning, frankly, that we all have to do is understand. Unfortunately, some of these words are more powerful than people realize, and they stand for things that um, may be barriers. Yeah,
0: no, you're you're absolutely right. I I I say it to my daughters. I have two as well, um, fourteen and fourteen and nineteen. And um, you know, I'm like I'm. You know, I often say, "Baby, you know, words matter, and the way you use words matters even more Um, because it does." And here you are, you know, seven years later. And, you know, even I just tell by when I ask the question that this is still kind of a point of pain for you, which is, you know, I mean, that kind of stuff sticks with you. And I and I, and I hope that at some point, the other side, if you will, starts to really pick up on the, the, the influence and impact they can have to aspiring people um,
2: well, just
0: honestly, by not being careful with their words.
1: That's why I love your business model so much because it's based on what you're accomplishing, right? It doesn't yep. matter how you show up. Yeah. And that's, that's frustration is like, you know what, make a level playing field, like make it clear what that criteria is that mm-hmm. it, is, you know, and make it transparent. And look, if I, don't, if I don't mean it, I don't need it, but don't hide it behind these, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, it's that. hard.
0: It's hard because how do you like, it, it's like, you want to call it out, right? But you don't want to be that, you know, it's good. But if you call it out, you, you, you run the possibility again. put in a bucket that you will never get out of, right? Yeah. And that'll follow you professionally for the, for the rest of your life. And that's, that's a really tough thing to navigate because I mean, I speaking from my own experience, you know, as, as, as an underrepresented group in, in finance, yeah. tech to some degree that you know I've had to bite my tongue in several occasions, and I don't even think that it was intentional it was it was kind of ignorance driven what was being yeah. said it wasn't like intentional and intended to hurt, right. but I was left in the space where i either I either call this out in the moment and run the run the risk of of basically rubbing this person the wrong way and and they they have some sort of influence over my my destiny to some degree or or I bite my tongue and I have to swallow that and figure out some way to move forward in this environment, um, and not and not carry that forward into my into my other interactions. Right. That's and I think that's the trick is
2: yeah, being yeah. able to
0: say you know that was that person
2: yeah.
0: and that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody I deal with that's a, a, in that cohort is going to act in the same fashion, yeah. right?
1: <laughs> there are certain sectors where it's still there's it's still. Um, getting up the curve, I would say. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not, I, feel, I feel very lucky you know, in my career. Um, there have really been very few times that I've felt that there is a real limitation because of my gender. Uh, it's right. just, you know, so I have hope. And like you said, I think that oftentimes it's an individual. It's not necessarily systemic um, right. I think in, in finance that a lot of it, frankly, is speaking the language. and. I'm generalizing here, but you know how men and women talk about numbers and financials, you know, there's some interesting research that can be done around that. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I mean, as, as, you know, somebody that comes from a different cultural background, than the vast majority of people that I work with in, in the financial industry over 20 years, um, you know, it, it's, you know, you just communicate. We, you know, you communicate different ways, right? Yeah. And and um, and and I, and I think you know, sometimes people have difficulty kind of just taking the message, right? They're just they're caught up in the delivery, and and it's not that it's disrespectful. It's just like I communicate a different way than you know, people maybe the people you grew up
1: with or up
2: and grew up yeah. around, right?
1: Um, one. Sure. Um, to share. And this actually has to do with just the space we're in because ESC, like your friend shared, it's been, you
0: know, I got to call him out real quick. Steven Schofield, you were in the game a decade ago. You (laughs) knew it. You knew where it was going. Much like your NBA predictions, you were spot on, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So, so my friend, that's uh, that's that's been in ESG for 10 years, finish your point.
1: That's awesome. Well, I was on the famous Sand Hill Road and uh, meeting with the VC, and um, the head of the firm of the fund walks in and he says, my kids are being brainwashed in school about this whole sustainability thing, and it's their way of (laughs) selling against their parents' generation. And, you know, I was like, well, should I leave now? Right.
0: (laughs) I don't, really, I, don't, I don't know if that leaves us anywhere to go.
1: Well, I got to tell you, Jody, it was fascinating to me to hear him say that. He was dead serious. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, from a generational standpoint, there is this feeling of anger, guilt, whatever you want to call it, that, you know, some of the older generation has because they have accumulated a ton of wealth and they've done it in ways that we're kind of paying the price for now. And not yeah. that it's intentional. We've just learned a lot more, right? And right. Right you know that are out there you know protesting and like you know we're not gonna fly we're not gonna do these things we're not gonna we're we're giving up right. all the comforts because we want the planet, right?
0: and you know and you know where they're going I just heard this stat called out the other day I wish I could remember the source but they said for the first time ever 50 like I think it was like 52 percent of I think it was like 18 to 35 year olds are yeah. living at home I know like they're I they're, they're just not leaving
1: I, I know and I'm <laughs>
0: freaking out because I I was like on the I was under the impression that I had like four years to go and I was like I'm free <laughs> I don't think it's ever gonna let I, I don't think I'm gonna be able to downsize I, I don't see the motivation i on their part I gotta be honest with you I just really don't I'm, I'm hopefully kicks in <laughs> so I, I want to ask you I want to rewind a little bit um you, you mentioned it earlier, you, you went to Harvard Business School, which, I mean, look, if you're going to go to business school, like, just pick a coast, right? It's like HBS or Stanford, right? You know, it's kind of like, so obviously super impressive. My father-in-law went to Harvard undergrad, and uh, God rest his soul. And um, I, I'm, I'm going to ask the question, and it's a little bit loaded, because I'm sure you're happy you you did it, but MBA or no MBA? Like, like, be honest, like if you're talking to somebody now, and they're like, I'm going to go get an MBA, basically, I'm gonna go drop a quarter million. (laughs) It's basically what they're saying on an MBA. I know you're glad you had it, have it, would you do it again? And more so, would you would you say yes to a younger person? Yes, it was it was worth the investment and the time and all that. I know that's tough. That's a tough question
1: it's not I would do it again in a heartbeat I would do Harvard business school again in a heartbeat and the reason being was and I this is part of the reason I went there is that I wanted that ability to um, have the freedom to uh, move as needed and take advantage of pretty incredible opportunities that graduate school like that affords sure Um, have um, had work experiences in my career, um, even at a really young age that were mm-hmm. incredible because of that. And um, I, it, it is a, an incredible, um, not only door opener, but the connection with the you know, classmates and just the um, knowledge transfer and the ability to mm-hmm. look at you know, businesses across the spectrum and really think about Businesses without being so, you know, insular in a particular industry or a particular yeah, yeah you know, area or whatever is something that I I don't think I could have gotten any other way. But I would say that you know would I answer the same way if I didn't go to a school like that? I don't know. I mean, I yeah, I,
0: and that's and that was kind of you know my thing. I'm like, okay, yeah, you get into Harvard Business School or Stanford, and you know, there's you know a handful or two kind of what you'll call kind of those top tier
2: type yeah.
0: you know business schools harvard and stanford probably being the top of the list but if it's not one of those and you're still looking at you know 150 200 dollars yeah. investment you know and that and that's and that's tough and i wrestled with it myself you know rewind you know a dozen years when i was caught up in the 2008 thing and just literally was professionally obliterated and had to start over from scratch. And I did wrestle with whether or not in my late thirties at that, I'm dating myself or of a similar vintage. in my late thirties. Is that, is it, does it make sense to make this investment right at this, at this point in my career? Cause I did have a fair amount of experience at that point. Yeah.
2: Um.
0: And my, the, well, for me, the answer for me was ultimately no, because, you know, you know, with a wife and two kids, you know, Harvard business school award, Stanford like that that just was not in the cards for me you know Given everything else I was responsible for and then, you know not much longer later I found pitch book and that's how I cut my teeth on the capital markets and the, you know it's been it's been a wonderful ride ever since um not without pain but certainly you know a wonderful ride but I am I am glad to hear you say that because it is something that I've wrestled with in the past I know other people that have wrestled with it um uh, my good friend Hunter uh she was an analyst uh at Lighter Capital um she was early at, uh, a deferred enrollment to HBS. She came out of MIT, just, just unbelievably smart. Hunter, I miss you, and um, I'm so proud. She just finished at HBS. I, in fact, I got to get you guys connected. So another—that's two shots out in one in one uh, in one thing. But um, just just a wonderful, beautiful girl that just just loves telling stories and and so unbelievably smart. So I, I hope uh, definitely need to get you guys connected. Never even thought about that. Oh my goodness. Um, so. I mean listen we've we've been talking for a little bit and i and I really appreciate the time and i and I think I think I want to finish with with this question and, and it's probably not a question that's surprising for you. Like what would you say to a young woman or somebody that was early career that was looking to step out as an entrepreneur, um whether it be in tech or or anywhere else? like what well, what are kind of the would you say the top two or three things that you would say to somebody like that? at this point, knowing what you know.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> it's
0: tough. It's a tough one. I didn't say I was going to ask easy questions.
1: I know, right? Wait, I need a drink.
2: <laughs> I know. There you go.
1: Me too. <laughs> I got really good advice when I was at, um, at Harvard. Mm-hmm. It wasn't directed just at me. Right. There was an executive that came in who was um Uh, I think she was. uh, She might not have been CEO, but she was COO of Cot Beverages out of Canada, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and she came in to as part of a case study. And she spoke specifically to the women in the room, and she said, "We have, you know, we as women have an interesting path in that." um we it, it's not necessarily that stair climb up to a particular position because of the um many women choosing to have kids or maybe they're taking care of aging parents or what have you. I mean mm-hmm. you know, the reality is women do do a lot, right. lot of come caring for others in their lives yeah and because of that it. Creates an opportunity for women to step in and step out, and a lot of people look at that as a de- as a negative, and it's a- she said it's actually a positive, and she was right. Um, now it does mean that you're going to want to you know keep yourself um, in the know of things that you're interested in, the mm-hmm, space,
2: mm-hmm, that you're in, mm-hmm. and so
1: forth, but. Um, If you don't think of your career as a stair-step ladder to a certain point, but more of looking at the opportunities that interest you and that give you that ability to make an impact, go for it. And don't think about taking the traditional path um, uh, as the only way to go. And especially as an entrepreneur. you know, uh, have the confidence to carve uh, new ways. Um, frankly, that's what our world so demands right now. Right,
2: and right.
1: And everything else going on, but it affords a freedom um, to uh, have opportunities that you might not otherwise.
0: That's awesome. And that, that's not too misaligned with um, what I share with some the students I speak with in my alma mater, um, not as prestigious as yours are. Washington state, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it's that, listen, it, it's about the thing. Don't, don't worry about the money, right? It's about the things that capture your attention intellectually and the things that you really feel drawn to, Yep. you know, cause ultimately if, if you find something you have a passion for, it, it, you know, that's the thing that that passion is what's going to enable you to kind of push through all those challenges that you're going to endure. Um, even even if you have to be in the if even you happen to be in the preferred cohort, but you, you're all you're all going to face it. But oh, yeah. certainly as as part of an under underrepresented group, um, I I couldn't agree I couldn't agree with that more. And and you know frankly some of the most insightful times in my life, you know, were like that period after two thousand eight when basically my entire world came crashing down, and I was I was just kind of left for eighteen months to kind of you know one spend a ton of time with my daughters and two kind of reflect and like, you know, say what's, what's really important to me. Like, you know, I I've spent my thirties chasing money and made some good money and I just lost all of it. And, um, and I'm completely unmotivated by what I was doing for that money. And, yeah. and that's, and that's not a good place to be at 38 with a wife and two kids. Right. And, and I, you know, thankfully I found my way, but you know, if somebody can figure that piece out, in their first five years post-college versus, you know, yes. I, I, it's it's a huge advantage. So um, thank you so much for sharing that, um, yeah. I, I think that it's huge and important.
1: That was definitely, <laughs> yeah, was definitely the thing we heard a lot from the professors at Harvard, which is to say, be careful, don't get caught up in the cars and the private school and the country club and all this because they're the golden handcuffs, right? And yeah. especially as an entrepreneur, Look, you're gonna be eating humble pie for a while. It <laughs> Doesn't matter yeah. how you great right? you're
0: not kidding, and and really, I mean, it extends beyond entrepreneurialism, right? I mean, that's like if you're gonna if you're gonna pursue something, there there is a period, you know, five or ten years where you might have yeah. to pay your dues. That's
2: right. You know,
0: even my brother-in-law, who's a really successful attorney, at a big, you know, partner at a law firm. Like I remember his first ten years.
2: There's yeah. no way I
0: would do that, like, and he's done really well for himself, and there's no.
2: Like, yeah. it's just not going
0: to happen yeah. so we'll listen joanna I, i'm so happy that we did find our way to doing business together one and um, i'm i'm hopeful that we'll continue to get to do things like this over the next you know several years as we work together um thank you so much for sharing and uh I, i'm i have no doubt that we'll be uh we'll be talking again sometime soon so thank cheers you cheers to you,
2: thank you. <laughs> you, thank
0: you so much. all right bye
2: I